possible Trump criminal referrals and fights over government funding. The January 6th committee is preparing to urge the Justice Department to prosecute former President Trump on criminal charges. The continuing resolution we passed yesterday will ensure that government stays open. Congress averts a government shutdown for now. The American people are saying, look, this is too much money, we can't afford it. But a longer-term agreement over funding the government is in flux as Republicans spar over differing strategies. Plus, the United States is all in on Africa and all in with Africa. President Biden seeks to strengthen America's ties with leaders of the pivotal continent. Next. This is Washington Week. Tonight, a big development. The January 6th committee is preparing to vote on urging the Justice Department to pursue at least three criminal charges against former President Trump. According to multiple outlets, the charges under consideration are insurrection, obstruction of an official proceeding, and conspiracy to defraud the U.S. government. Meanwhile, there are just two weeks left of the 117th Congress, and top lawmakers, well, they're scrambling to avoid a government shutdown and negotiating a one-year funding deal. But a public split is emerging between the Republican leaders of the House and Senate. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who, by the way, is still looking to secure the votes to become the next speaker, well, he wants to wait until his party takes control of the House before Congress votes on a one-year funding agreement. Here's what he had to say on Wednesday. You just had an election where we changed the course where the House is now going to be controlled by Republicans. Let's do our spending bill in the next quarter. But the top Republican in the Senate, Mitch McConnell, he had this to say. If a truly bipartisan full-year bill without poison pills is ready for final Senate passage by late next week, then I'll support it. All this comes as a series of new polls show former President Trump's popularity is on the decline. Polls from CNN, Quinnipiac, The Wall Street Journal, and USA Today, well, they all showed his favorability among Americans and among Republicans are at historic lows. Joining me to discuss this and more, Monica Alba, White House correspondent for NBC News, and here in studio, Carl Hulse, the chief Washington correspondent for The New York Times, Nicole Killian, congressional correspondent for CBS News, and Jonathan Martin, the politics bureau chief at Politico. We always have to remind people we call you J-Mart. Uh, <laughs> so I want to, of course, start, Jonathan, with the fact that your, that your outlet, Politico, they broke this story yeah. about the January 6th committee um, possibly looking at, at referring criminal charges for former President Trump. I wonder what more do we know about what lawmakers are thinking and preparing to possibly refer to the DOJ? Well, I, for, first of all, you have to take a step back here. It's extraordinary that the U.S. Congress is considering uh, urging the, the Justice Department, a separate branch of government, to pursue uh, the most serious kind of criminal charges against a former president. We truly are in uncharted territory here uh, in, in the history of the country, uh, certainly in modern times. I think from a political standpoint, Yamish, um, I think this is going to be one more rock, if you will, and, and a pretty darn heavy one, in the load that Trump is carrying uh, as he goes into 2023 in 2024. You flash the polls there on your screen. 
a lot of people in the GOP, some publicly, many more privately, who really want to move on. And I think this kind of indictment, even if there's not a conviction, if an indictment does come from the feds, one comes from, uh, in Atlanta over the, the, the Georgia election dispute, I just think it sort of it, it, it galvanizes that sense among Republicans that let's just turn the page. And Carl, you've been obviously on Capitol Hill for a long time covering this. Jonathan's really calling this uncharted territory. I wonder what you're hearing from lawmakers, but also, are they concerned that the DOJ could do nothing here, that they could see yeah. these criminal referrals and just do nothing? I was going to say, this is, in some ways, it's symbolic because the Justice Department doesn't have to do anything, no. but what a symbol, right, that the, that the House is going to uh, deliver these findings. I think there's a lot of interest among lawmakers and certainly among uh uh, Liz Cheney to just disqualify Trump, make it so Trump is disqualified from political office and from running, even if he never goes to jail. And this is this is part of the effort to do that, to make him just you can't not a credible candidate. You know, his taxes are at issue uh, right now in the House as well as time's running out. What are Democrats going to do with those taxes they now have? So. I, this is this is a, a really it's it's just striking as Jmart said that the, a, a select committee of the House is going to say that a former president of the United States mounted a coup. I mean it is it's, it's extraordinary, Nicole. Um, when you think about just the fact that this this committee could have come to this decision could come to this decision on Monday. I wonder what you're hearing overall about their decision making. Um, with some outlets saying that maybe the decision isn't final, but with others saying that the the decision's basically been made. Um, also, I'm wondering, when you think about the overall report that's going to be released next week, sort of what is the impact there? Well, I think this is not completely and totally unexpected if we do see these criminal referrals made next week when the committee holds its business meeting and then subsequently releases its final report. At the end of the day, the committee sunsets at the end of the year, so they have to produce a product. But also, I think the committee has been building the case from day one. I mean, you'll remember yeah. that long stretch of hearings that we saw over the summer uh, where they methodically uh, laid out their case then against the former president. And this is also in line with some rulings that we have seen from a federal court judge uh, with respect to those Eastman emails. Uh, John Eastman, of course, being that controversial uh, attorney who uh, authored this memo to overturn the election. So in that legal battle, there was a federal judge that actually suggested that the former president may have committed some potentially illegal activity, whether that was conspiracy to defraud the federal government or potentially obstruction. So this is also in line with at least what one federal judge has previously ruled in that Eastman case. So again, not a huge surprise from the committee, but certainly uh, part of the outcome and product of their work. And to Carl's point, I think, you know, the big question is whether or not the DOJ will pursue action if and when they make no. these referrals going on. And they forward. have their own investigation going on right. themselves and, you know, can incorporate this and maybe this uh, gives them some momentum, but. Yeah, because they're, they're looking at the a number of issues, including the, the aftermath of the election and the lead up to January 6th, but also the classified documents issue. Mm -hmm. We know the feds are looking into that. So uh, there are the sort of two parallel tracks already uh, set up, what the feds are already looking into and now what this committee is going to be trying to turn over to them. I would just say real fast, I think the bigger surprise would have been if the 1-6 panel hadn't referred <laughs> criminal charges after all these months and months and all these hearings and investigations. I think it was pretty clear from the start uh, where this was headed, and it was headed directly uh, at Donald J. Trump. Yeah, and Monica, uh, you know, the 
J-Mod gives us this, this imagery, all the rocks that former President Trump is carrying. It's just getting heavier and heavier. I wonder what former President Trump, or I should say, I wonder what President Biden, rather, and the White House officials that you're talking to every day, I know that they all want to be independent of the DOJ, but they have to be looking over at what the January 6th committee is doing, especially as former President Trump is running for president again. So, Monica, what are you hearing? Certainly, Yamish, and this is a White House that is content to sit back and watch this all unfold and continue to be problematic for the former president. That is absolutely their top line, that they're not going to comment on matters that the Department of Justice continues to investigate, and they don't want to at all appear to be directing or giving any influence in that, whether the president or the press secretary. That's something we've heard time and time again. But just yesterday, you saw this was a White House that was happy to troll the former president. That major announcement that he had teased that ended up being those digital trading cards, they put out their own tweet saying, okay, we have some major announcements, announcements here as well, highlighting some of the work of the administration in the last week, bringing Brittany Griner home, keeping gas prices low. So they are happy to have a tongue-in-cheek approach to some of that. But when it comes to the matters of incredible importance and preserving democracy in the words of President Biden, that he has talked about January 6th repeatedly, not wanting to give his comment on the investigation specifically, but how important that is as a theme. That was a huge theme that Democrats and he tried to really push in the final weeks of the midterm. So when I talked to the White House, they say that they are very happy to just continue to watch this, that polling that shows former President Trump in, you know, fading away, that there isn't that much appetite potentially for him to be the nominee again. They're okay. They say, hey, we can let that go and we're going to continue our plans no matter what. Of course, that brings in the question of 2024 inevitably. And as President Biden continues to mount what all signs point to as a re-election, they're prepared whether Donald Trump is the nominee or not, because they believe they're going to really paint this, whoever the Republican nominee may be, as ultra-MAGA Republicans, which they felt was a dominating message that helped Democrats defy expectations in November. And I definitely am going to get to the digital trading cards and the polling. But, Carl, I want to have to come to you because there's also the issue of government funding, right? There's this big issue looming over here. I want to put up for folks, we should put it up, the, the tweet that from Manu, our friend Manu Raju at CNN. He tweeted about Senator Lindsey Graham, who was talking about what's going on there. He said, um, who's likely to back the omnibus bill. He said that Lindsey Graham told him this when he asked him about sort of the GOP issues. Um, backing government funding. They are having enough problems trying to find a speaker, much less pass a bill. That's what Senator Lindsey Graham is saying. Someone we have to remind people is a Republican. What are your sources telling you about sort of the concern that there might be a government shutdown? And what do you make of the fact that we're seeing Republican on Republican fighting here? Yeah. Well, I think that's going to be a, an interesting portent for the future. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, what's going on? This is Congress at its worst, but this is the way it works now. You have to you have to wait to the end of the year to jam everything through. I think that they'll probably get a deal, and it's the oldest reason uh, in the books. It's pork. These bills have a bunch of earmarks for a lot of people, including uh, the two top. Uh, members of the Senate Appropriations Committee who are both retiring. This is their last chance, and they're taking advantage of it. If you go with a continuing resolution or you write a new bill next year, all those earmarks disappear. Uh, and to Lindsey Graham's point, I think Mitch McConnell is looking at what's going on in the House right now and saying, 
they can't elect a speaker. How are they going to pass a bill next year? We don't want to deal with this immediately next year. Ukraine funding is in there. Mitch McConnell wants to get the deal done. The question for me is a lot of people think Kevin McCarthy is a member of what we call the uh, <laughs> vote no, hope yes caucus, that he, that he actually wants this to go through too and is just positioning himself like this for his speaker's race. I don't know if that's exactly true, but uh, I, I do think that this... The sense on Capitol Hill that I've gotten in the last few days is that we'll get done, yeah. but it'll be like next Friday. And I think the proof will be in the pudding because we know that uh, appropriators have been working on that long-term, year-long spending package. We think we'll see some of that text Monday, but if we don't, that could potentially be a warning sign. But we know the top line on that is $1.7 trillion. So again, if we start to get that language, if we start to see what that actual one-year uh, you know, funding bill looks like, then I think... Hopefully, we will be on track to uh, see action taken on that by the end of the next week. Short of that, we could be in trouble. And Jonathan, yes. um, as, we're, as they're talking about the spending bill, the thing that, of course, is looming over this is that House, wanting to be House Speaker um, Kevin McCarthy, he doesn't have the votes to get that title yet. I wonder what you make of the fact that we're seeing now this sort of open split between the House and the Senate on the no. Republican side while Kevin McCarthy is looking for the votes. You told our producers yeah. that the House and the Senate GOP, they might even be different parties here. Tell us a little yeah. bit about that. No, I mean, I, I think, look, the last, the, the last session of Congress, because Democrats have majorities, you mentioned both chambers, I think this was kept under the surface. But there's real tensions between the House GOP and Senate GOP, just at a sort of cultural and stylistic level, uh, for one, but also increasingly uh, on policy uh, as well. There's an old line, the Senate is a country club uh, and the House is a truck stop. Uh, and I think uh, we're going to see more of that reflected in this next Congress when, when the House GOP is in the majority. And what Kip McCarthy is effectively dealing with is trying to tame uh, a party that really reflects two different parties. It's effectively a sort of coalition government with um, both parties under the same umbrella, the pre-Trump party and the post-Trump party. Yeah. And I think even if he gets the votes to be speaker, you may, he may get there yet. The actual week-to-week -week governing for him is going to be a big challenge because they're just not on the same page on a lot of issues. And his, his majority, this is important, his majority is so narrow because of the midterms that he can't afford to lose many votes. Yeah. And I want to put up for folks, this week, a Quinnipiac poll showed former President Trump's popularity is declining, as Monica was pointing out. Just 31% of registered voters have a favorable opinion of him, and 59% have an unfavorable opinion of him. That's the lowest favorability rating Quinnipiac has since 2015, and there's more. Among Republican voters, 70% have a favorable opinion of Trump. And that number, for the folks that are watching this, they might, that, that number may seem very high, but it is, in fact, the lowest favorability among Republicans in a Quinnipiac poll since March 2016. So, Jim, I want to come back to you. What are you hearing from yeah. Trump world about these poll numbers? And also, how real is this? Because I, as someone who's covered Trump for years, we've seen him go, yeah. he's, we've seen him, yeah. the, Repu the Republican Party say, we can't deal with this sure. guy, time and, time and then again. they sort of run back. Yes, because the leaders have always followed the voters when it comes to Trump, at least since he became the nominee of the party. And I think that's why you've seen so many uh, so many moments where, well, this could be it, and they uh, simply uh, stick and lie. And I think this is not going to be any different. If the Republican leaders see their, their voters abandoning Trump, then they'll follow the suit. If they believe that Trump still has the support of the rank and file of the party, they'll stick with him. And the proof will be in the pudding in 2024 if Trump does, in fact, 
impact uh, run for president and he's winning primaries, then I think they're going to stick with him. If he's losing left and right, they're going to say, Donald who? Yeah. Well, I think that's well, another difference between the House and the Senate Republicans yes. is that uh, the House Republicans are more aligned with Trump. The Senate Republicans see Trump as the person who cost them the majority in two elections now. And, and they don't want to go out on a limb for his candidacy. Just, right. yeah, I had a column this week. You know, some of the biggest Trump figures in the Senate, Yamish, Lindsey Graham, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, uh, Rick Scott. Guess what? Not one of them has endorsed Donald Trump yet. In fact, of the 50 GOP senators, only one has endorsed Trump's candidacy a month after he announced. That tells you a lot about the desire to sort of hang back, see where this thing goes, see where the indictments come, if they yeah. do come, and then make a decision. And that, and also, may be one of the, that also may be one of the points of agreement among yeah. House and Senate Republicans, because even Kevin McCarthy this week would not answer that question, yes. saying we haven't had that conversation. He does that he question. Just talking, yeah. just talking about Hank back. Monica, I want to bring you in. The White House, here we get another topic where they're seeing poll numbers declining for former President Trump. They're seeing sort of him releasing digital trading cards as part of his big announcement, which was, of course, very perplexing, to put it lightly. Monica, what are you hearing? Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is a White House that is happy to, in the first year or so of the administration, remember, they would just call him the former guy and yeah. they weren't going to comment on every single thing yeah. that Donald Trump was doing. That did shift a little bit in the last three or four months, especially in the run up to the midterm elections. And that is where you had the president come out and say, basically, I can't hold my breath or my tongue on this anymore. I need to be calling out what he called a literal threat to democracy. And these were some of the Republicans who were most aligned with Donald Trump. But this is something also that we have seen Joe Biden say time and time again. He likes to quote, I believe it's his father, and saying, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. And that is the argument that he continues to make over and over again when talking about him versus Donald Trump. But in the White House, they're very quick to remind you that of the Democrats who were up against Donald Trump in the last elections, Joe Biden is the only one who was able to beat him. And so that is why they argue he could do it again if that's what the stakes end up becoming in 2024. But as Joe Biden also likes to say, he's a big respecter of fate and things have intervened and plenty has changed before. And who knows if that will actually be the Trump-Biden rematch that we see down the line. And Nicole, I mean, we, you, you were jumping in and I, I want to come back to you. Talk about this digital trading card. We, we covered Trump together. We were on the lawn, right? We, we, we watched this, this administration, that, that the Trump administration. I, for the life of me, have been asking the question, how is it beneficial to him as someone who wants to be a serious presidential candidate? How is it beneficial to tease a major announcement and then have digital trading cards featuring your picture? What are you hearing from folks? What's your own reporting tell you? I mean, it's underwhelming to say the least. Uh, you know, what it reads to me is just kind of an effort to stay relevant because, quite frankly, since the former president's announcement that he was going to mount this 2024 uh, re-election bid, we haven't really seen or heard yeah. much from him. Uh, we have not seen him really back on the trail. We have not really seen him put forth any... Uh, specific policy proposals besides uh, something pertaining to, to free speech. So, uh, you know, on the other token, I would just say it's still early, though, <laughs> right? And we know that the former president uh, is, is full of gimmicks and, and has been in the past. So, yes, it was a little perplexing, but I also think it's something we don't need to spend too much of our time and energy on because we still have a very long way to go in this race. Uh, politically perplexing, financially lucrative. Yeah. He's already made Absolutely. a good chunk of cash in 24 hours on those 
those tokens, uh, which shows he's got a, a following in the grassroots. And by the way, cash for himself, not for his campaign. This is cash that he can use uh, to be liquid. So uh, that's going to help, I think, uh, with some of his future expenses. But of course, uh, it, it's embarrassing for uh, a for lot of people lot. <laughs> in the party to have him doing this. It does seem beneath the office, and it does raise questions yeah, about, yeah. is there quality control at Mar-a-Lago? Where are the, the advisors saying, no, sir, this is not going to be helpful to your winning the nomination again. This actually is beneath the office. And are they saying that? or are they not saying it at all? That's to me the question is, what are the folks around him saying and are they gonna have any pull this time around in terms of trying to control Trump? It was the announcement that launched a thousand memes, but it also <laughs> felt like the home shopping network, yeah. right? That's it. The whole thing was just, uh, they should not have done it. Yeah, yeah, that's one way to put it, Carl. I also want to turn to the fact that this week, President Biden celebrated signing legislation protecting same-sex marriages and interracial marriages. He also held a three-day U.S.-Africa summit focused on investing more in the continent as China and Russia loom large there. The people of Africa are indispensable partners. Africa belongs to the table in every room in every room where global challenges are being discussed and in every institution where discussions are taking place. So, Monica, tell us a little bit about the timing of this. Why is President Biden focusing on Africa right now? And how much is Russia and China and their influence on the continent, how much is that sort of influencing his thinking here? Yeah, and the president was quick to say during his remarks this week that he didn't want this to be about strategic competition, but of course you can't ignore the fact. And when you're talking about gathering nearly 50 leaders, neither almost 50 heads of state from the continent that came to Washington here for this major summit, it was significant. But this was also something that some African leaders said they've heard before. They've seen the U.S. try to make this commitment and pledge to invest in Africa and then not having as much follow through. So there was some healthy skepticism here, but ultimately the Biden administration pledged more than $55 billion in American spending over the next three years. And one of the other big headlines is that the president said that he, the first lady, some major cabinet officials, all will be visiting sub-Saharan Africa at some point in 2023. So that is significant. And President Biden spent a little bit of time in Egypt in November, uh, but he hasn't, of course, spent much time there as president in the continent of Africa. So that will be a major trip to multiple countries, we assume that we don't know when or many other details. But this is something that other past administrations, Democrat and Republican, have before tried to talk about this. But this is in a different context in terms of White House officials I talked to who said this is also a lot about rebuilding relationships that were damaged during the Trump era foreign policy, particularly with countries that he insulted in Africa. And so this was as much about restoring that kind of diplomacy as making a pledge in the future, whether it has as much follow through as some of these African leaders hope, we'll see. And Monica, in the, in the last minute that we have here, could you tell, talk to me a bit about what the White House is saying about the president's own polling numbers? He's had a good couple weeks here. You think about Brittany Griner being home, inflation slowing, um, the big legislation on same-sex marriage and interracial marriages. But the polls show that he still has, he's still sl struggling in a lot of ways in the polls. What are you hearing about that? And might that influence his big, seems like holiday decision to run again? He's still underwater, Yamish. That's absolutely right, though. He's been climbing slightly since October, and there have been a lot of 
legislative wins and administrative victories that they point to. You mentioned a bunch of them in the last couple of weeks. So they feel like there's momentum, especially with the midterms, that they had been bracing for something a little tougher. They feel like that was really a bit of a turning point and that in the last couple of weeks, with gas prices lower than they were a year ago, with inflation possibly cooling a bit there, that they do feel that the economy and that outlook is improving as well. All of that will factor in. And we're just learning, actually, that in the last 24 hours, the White House had a series of meetings with key allies, key groups who would be hugely influential in a potential 2024 campaign, essentially bringing them to the White House and saying, look at our long list of accomplishments. This is what we will likely build a 2024 campaign on, though, again, the intention is to run. It's not completely official until it's all done. They'll huddle over the holidays. And then I think we'll learn very early next year what that decision is. But a big decision, for definitely a big decision, and one I know that you'll keep watching and we'll keep learning from you about. So thank you so much, Monica. Thank you, of course, to all of you. We'll have to leave it there. Thank you for showing us and, and sharing your reporting. And be sure to tune in to PBS News Weekend for a look at the crisis afflicting the cryptocurrency market and ideas for how to regulate its future. And finally, I want to take a moment to mark that this week was the 10-year anniversary of the school shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary. I covered the massacre as a reporter for USA Today after a gunman killed 20 children and six adults there. The devastation, the grief, the resilience of Newtown, it sticks with me a decade later. My heart is with the families whose loved ones were killed that day, the survivors who carry on through their trauma, and with the entire community. Good night from Washington.